Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation 1. Once or twice a generation of games, there comes a title so groundbreaking, so rich, so much more than some of its parts, that it breaks the barriers that surround it and becomes more than a game. It becomes a force of nature that takes on a life and a universe of its own. One such generational juggernaut is the subject for today, Final Fantasy VII, originally released in 1997. Until this particular game, the long-running Final Fantasy series had been stuck in the medieval period so popular in the role-playing game genre, sword and sorcery, dragons and damsels. Even the previous entry, Final Fantasy VI, still dripped with the typical fantasy trappings despite the additions of steampunk. But as I said in that review, a new course was being charted. The future was coming to these magic-laden worlds. And come, it did. From the opening notes of the game, a world much like our own is revealed. A megacity that could easily be Tokyo, London, or New York, with its crowded streets, fast cars, bright neon lights, and trash-strewn gutters. From the large setting, we are taken to the small setting. A dirty train station at the end of the line, certainly not a commercial or public transit depot. Its purpose reinforced by the armed soldiers guarding it. When the train halts, several figures leap from it and attack the guards at speed. These would be avalanche, eco-terrorists seeking to take down the one government militarized corporation named Shinra, who is draining, so they believe, the life essence of the planet. They have a new man with them tonight, a young man who cares only for money, an ex-soldier in capital letters, something that should be impossible, and his name's Cloud Strife. The team, led by their brash and charismatic leader named Barrett, fight to the heart of their target, an electricity-generating reactor powered by magic, and destroy it. A blow is finally struck against the megacorporation, but they are being watched. The Shinra leadership could have squashed them easily, but they allowed the destruction. It serves their purposes and life gets very, very difficult indeed for the members of Avalanche. Yet something happens that even the Shinra Corporation did not plan for. One of their old monsters they created comes back to haunt them. A soldier in capital letters named Sephiroth, the greatest of his group, learns that he may be in fact the inheritor of the planet and seeks to use his vast, nigh-on-godlike powers to destroy Shinra and all life on the planet so that he and his mother figure can be left alone. Cloud, somehow, is part of that equation. The events that unfold from there are many. Cloud is separated from the eco-terrorists after a second job, and befriends a flower seller named Aerith, or Eris, for those of us who played in game in 97, reunites with a fellow hometown kid named Tifa, and defeats mutants, mobsters, and machines until he again takes Barrett, Tifa, and Aerith into Shinra headquarters to fight the corporation. They are ultimately rebuffed, but not before releasing a hostage of the corporation, a lion-dog hybrid nicknamed Red Thirteen, and finding out that Aerith is far more than she appears to be. She is the last remaining ancient, one of the true first peoples of the planet and inheritor of its power, and that Sephiroth also knows of her and wants her for his own nefarious purposes. Stealing a car and a motorcycle, the group escapes the city, but not before fighting it out with a city-destroying war machine sent after them as a parting gift by Shinra. 
From there, the world beyond is opened to more traditional Final Fantasy fare. Small towns and villages, rolling hills, streams, deserts, and forests. And monsters. So many monsters in the wild. The magic, of course, is brought to you by the Shinra Corporation in the form of a manufactured, concentrated globe called Materia, which allows anyone to be a mage. The party traverses caves and dungeons, old burned-out reactors and frozen wastes. They gamble at the world's largest casino, the Gold Saucer, seek wisdom at the canyon in Observatory Red 13 Calls Home, and visit the wonders of the game world. Secrets are revealed. Cod may not be the hero or soldier in capital letters he claims to be. Tifa has tried to confront Sephiroth all alone. Barrett reveals why he started Avalanche, and had to replace his natural arm with a machine gun. They find several new party members along the way. Yuffie, the materia-hunting ninja from a rival nation named Wutai. Sid, the airship pilot and former Shinra employee. Kate Sith, or officially pronounced Ket Shi, the animatronic Moogle, and Cat Toy being controlled by a person on the inside, and I don't mean inside the suit itself. And fan-favorite Vincent, a former Shinra employee turned, well, something after Shinra mad scientist Hojo experimented on him for loving the wrong woman. They even traveled to space briefly as part of their quest. And of course, one of the most famous spoilers slash plot twists occurs little more than halfway through the game that destroyed the illusion many gamers held that no matter what, the main characters would always be safe and would survive to the end of the game, which in turn drives the plot to its fateful conclusion. The conclusion being Cloud vs. Sephiroth for the life, heart, and soul of the planet and everything on it. It cannot be stated enough that Final Fantasy VII is a masterwork of a game. It may not have been the sharp, had the sharpest writing, as we have become accustomed to now. Some translation gaffes do bring about unintended humor at points, and the blocky polygons on pre-rendered backgrounds are a product of the time and the PlayStation 1 at that point. But there is simply no denying this is a game far greater than the sum of its parts, and the positives far and away outweigh the negatives or limitations due to the console hardware. This game sprawled across three discs, almost unheard of at the time, and offered a richer world at that point than any other Final Fantasy game had been able to attempt, even with some grinding and unnecessary bits, like the later game's snowboarding minigame. I understand that there are people who may not feel that this was a great game, or even a good Final Fantasy game, but its force as a cultural titan within the game industry and outside of it in popular culture and media is undeniable. Multiple spin-off games, an animated movie, crossovers with other game series, orchestral concerts performing music from the game, plush toys, you name it. Hell, the fucking game was even parody on the TV show Robot Chicken. Which, in a way, is like when the musician has Weird Al parody one of their favorite songs. That's how you know you've made an impact on the cultural zeitgeist. Its successes in North American market even helped Western developers such as BioWare make the case that the RPG market was booming and thriving and could support more role-playing products than the traditional action-shooter-driven American market, and that Western RPGs and JRPGs could exist happily side-by-side. Side. And for me... Final Fantasy VII was a breath of fresh air in a stale place. Another game that helped fuel my bubbling ideas that fantasy didn't need to be just swords and sorcery. 
that it could be other themes like environmentalism and shepherding the environment or going beyond the stars to save the galaxy, much like a certain movies have portrayed. But always these stories and games come back to one universal idea, friendship. Friendship and a willingness to think outside yourself and understand there are greater causes that you can affect through altruism and accepting others who may not be like you and may not always agree with you, but together you are mightier in that united effort. Final Fantasy VII just made me happy. And who knows? Maybe thought and actions like that could just save our planet, too. Thank you for listening.